This episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast is sponsored by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. Check out their products in your local grocery store or online at mrb.com. Service, compassion, and humility. Those are a few words that come to mind when our guest this week's name gets brought up in conversation. Yeah, Jennifer Farr is our guest today, and she's one of those people that if you call or text in the middle of the night saying that you desperately need help because something crazy happened, then she'll answer you right back and be there as fast as she possibly can. She's an incredible person and currently serves on Charleston's City Council, a position that she hopes to keep because she's up for re-election at the time of this interview. In this episode, we learn about Jen's why, her reason for caring so deeply about her community. Everything from urban renewal, community programs, and small business alliances. Yeah, Charleston natives are going to find this conversation very relevant and pretty interesting. Jen gives us a lot of behind the scenes about how some of these businesses ultimately came to be in Charleston, as well as a good story about Rock City. So stick around for all of that. Some very cool stories and good little nuggets about Charleston coming your way. But at the end of the day, if we all cared about our community as passionately as Jen does for Charleston and West Virginia, well, this entire state truly would embody that almost heaven mantra. So there are a lot of lessons to take away from Jen in this conversation that we have today. So listen up, because it's a good one. So let's get to it. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Cooper Simmerman with me as always, and then our guest today, Jennifer Farr, city councilman and very well-known Charlestonian. Jen with one N, that's what they called you in high school, but you have two N's in your name, so that's a little misleading, if I do say so. It is. When I'm from grade school, um, I went to grade school at Chamberlain in Kanawha City, and within my class, there were four Jennifers, and we all spelled our name the exact same, and so there one person remained Jennifer, one person I believe was Jenny. Then there was Jen with two N's and Jen with one N, and I became Jen with one N. So that's how I, that's why I've always spelled my name (laughs) J-E-N. Yeah, I like that. And you were born Kanawha City, right? So you're like, you're through through a Charleston native. You grew up in Kanawha City, spent your most of your childhood there, or what happened when you moved around? Yeah, I grew up, I grew up um, on Staten Avenue, and um, I used to work at the Kanawha Cinemas, so I literally could walk across McCorkle to the (laughs) Kanawha Cinemas. And I worked there in the box office and it was truly my favorite job. I had so much fun there, but I grew up in Canal City, um, went to Chamberlain Horseman, and I was the last class of Charleston High. Okay, Okay. wow. Before we get to the Charleston High thing, where is this, where is the Canal Cinema for somebody that's lived here? I don't even know where that was. Oh my gosh. Okay, so where, I believe it's the DEP building that's across from the mall now. Okay, Um, okay. That was the Canal Cinemas. Oh my oh. gosh, you guys don't know the Canal Cinemas. I just know the Canal Mall. It was such a fun, fun time. There were so many people that worked there that, oh gosh, it was it was a blast. It really wow. was. And it had like, I think it was non-screen, non-movie theaters. Wow. And um Oh my goodness. I, some of my best friends, we still stay in touch and we talk about how that was the funnest job ever, but it used to be packed on Fridays wow. and Saturday nights. It was, the, the parking lot was full. Um, people would walk back and forth from the mall to the Canal Cinemas. I cannot believe you guys don't know the Canal Wait, Cinemas. Yeah, okay. So, so growing up, obviously, if you grew up in Charleston, you know, of two movie theaters, uh, Park Place and then Southridge, you've got the two up there, Corridor G. Um, so when did like the Canal Cinemas close? Why? Like, 
now I'm confused why there was never a movie theater much closer to where I grew up than uh, the one downtown. Well, when Southridge became Southridge, it phased out the movie theater in Small City. Um, The mall used to be so much different. It was, oh gosh, it was so packed and people would get off at... um, on the interstate, as if you were getting on the turnpike, that one exit where you can get off. And mm-hmm. and actually that growth from the cinemas, it led to quite a bit of like the hotels and things because it was a very busy exit, very busy. In fact, I worked like my senior year in high school, I only needed English to graduate and I reveled in that. So I worked part-time at the cinemas. You could go to school for a half day if you had a job, like where you worked more than 20 hours a week. So I would work yeah. in small cinemas. That's what, it's funny. We were just talking to one of your good friends. Um, I'm about to say Tony Soprano. Tony, uh, Tony, Tony Parenzino. Looks not like Tony, Tony Soprano. Soprano sometimes. He, he could be. Like he. he probably would. Don't let that go in my goodness head. He'll probably feel, he'll feel great if I call him Tony Soprano. Um, but we, we were just talking to him, actually, obviously, about kind of downtown. He's been a, a key pillar of downtown business in Charleston. He was. We were speaking about the heyday of, of downtown Charleston and the fact that you could, like, you look back at the videos from, like, the 80s and 70s. It did look like a bustling little city i mean there was like taxi cabs people getting off shopping like walking around you know i think a lot of factors all across america have probably led to pulling people away from downtowns out to more outlet shopping centers and whatnot um but in your your work now that kind of seems like something that you're trying to revitalize bring back right bring back the capitol street walkable city atmosphere how important is that for a city i guess to have things that don't necessarily have to be driven to though that you can just kind of bop around and walk to is that like a core kind of concept when you think about city planning oh absolutely um when you if you look back into the history uh, charleston's history with um urban renewal um it goes back to when the mall was built and the interstate system coming through the city and how it decimated so many vibrant parts of charleston um, the, the pro, I guess, the, the, the proponent for people that were actually for this, were talking about having access and the roads and the interstate and how that would bring people through. But what it did is it, it really destroyed so many communities that had their own bustling economics. Right. Um, so if you look at that, if you look at like the Triangle District and the Block District downtown, um, it's, it really, really pushed folks out And I don't think many people at the time thought about how the negative effects would, you know, what it would be for Charleston. So it's so important to have a core, to have a downtown that's, that, that is bustling. If any city that I've lived in, it's, they've had a robust downtown Mm -hmm. and to revitalize that is so important. Um, What I have done within the past, I think it's been when I ran for office three years, four years ago, I ran on economic development and urban revitalization. So what I was able to do, um, I worked for a gentleman that owns quite a few properties downtown, and he had quite a few storefronts that were vacant. So within about an 18-month period, I filled those storefronts, all of them but one. And so there were businesses that came in, one that I don't think Morgan would mind me mentioning this. Rock City K Company was one that I actually helped to relocate from awesome Charleston. Awesome company. Um, well, yeah. let me rephrase that. They were downtown. The roof collapsed where they were where they were located. They needed a new spot. I became friends with them, and I knew that they had this passion, and, and hence the name Rock City. They like rock, rock and roll, and music. Mm-hmm. So I took them into, you probably, guys probably don't remember Muldoon's. <laughs> you probably don't remember that location. Um it used to be a bustling bar downtown and it had a stage. So when I took Morgan and Courtney in there, they just both sort of had this aha moment and they were like, how do we make this happen? And so that's how Rock City came about. Hmm. But when you think of something as unique as Rock City, my friends that are from here that live out of state now, when they come to visit, we go to Rock City. Mm-hmm. Um, they love the cupcakes. If, if they're closed and I don't have a dozen cupcakes for them, I'm in trouble. So they love going downtown now. And many people that I haven't been there in 20 or 30 years, they're like, this is really cool. The brick, you know, the brick on the sidewalks, the trees, the atmosphere. That is so important when you talk about economic development. Um, The Atlas building, I was the leasing agent for the Atlas building. That building used to be a medical building. 
And so many people that I grew up with would say, my dentist was there, my doctor was there. I want to be able to come in and to complete, to leave the outside of it, leave the things that still make it historic, like the terrazzo flooring. And we have like the frames of where doors used to be, because that's important for historic tax credits and um, historic preservation. To walk in there now and there's 52 beautiful units that you know have all of the amenities that you can think of that are in the other cities i could have leased three atlas buildings we have been full for since it's open we have some people that are buying homes now and if you think about this someone moves here they rent what you want them to do is to stay now they're mm -hmm. buying homes and they're settling and having roots here and they're buying they're going to tony's shop and they're buying things there. They're going to the Purple Moon and they're getting decorations. They're going to Rock City and saying, when's your next concert? They go to Black Sheep and they sit outside and they have drinks with their friends. That's how you have dollars pass around and stay in your economy. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think how big, I mean, what's the pro and con of like, what if we just made capital sure? I love to hear from someone like yourself, like from this perspective, like a real estate developer kind of thing, even just like a city planner. Like, I think those type of things are best when they almost shut the like capital street, if they stopped or at least like wouldn't let traffic through as much and created that like walkable where it almost just becomes like a hangout spot for people. Is there a pro con? Like has the city ever looked at like, what if we did that on a more well, like, semi-permanent basis? Well, no, they do it, but I'm saying like on a semi-perm, like making like, you know, like they, some cities will paint like the street, like a certain color of it. And it becomes almost like a permanent hangout spot where you can kind of bounce around and, and not necessarily be as busy for roads. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Like, so um, Cincinnati has an area like that. It's called the, I believe it's called the Dora district. Mm -hmm. I might get that wrong, but I was there um, this past summer, I believe it was. Um, and they have like the balusters that are that separate from the road from like if you were to if you were able to turn down the road, um, right. these balusters are permanently there. So it blocks the road like a vehicular traffic um, and it's completely blocked off and you walk around, you can have your drinks in your hand, but you have to it's contained to that particular area. And it's exactly what you're talking about. We did have Capitol Street um, shut down. Capital and Hale um, was like Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday as well mm -hmm. for outdoor dining, especially when COVID hit. You know, so many restaurants, they people weren't going inside and it was, it was just killing their business. Right. So that idea came about in order to shut the streets down. Um, I'm a proponent for having an area where exactly what you're talking about, very similar to Cincinnati. There's one in Bethesda, Maryland as well. Mm -hmm. um, but then some of the information that we got garnered from businesses that were not restaurant businesses, like retail businesses, they didn't do as well when the streets were shut down. So it's trying to find that balance and happy medium and how do we get more folks to go to the retail shops just as much as they're going to the dining. Cooper, breaking news. Mr. B was named the best West Virginia made food product. I know you, big potato chip guy. So this was like, uh, this, this certainly was something that you were paying attention to. Does not surprise me one bit. Mr. B chips is the only chip that I actually consume. So it's a delicious chip and I <laughs> oh, will- Oh, no way. I, I was no, voted. There's no way that that's the only potato chip that it you- It is. I'm a loyal <laughs> fan of Mr. B because of the incredible entrepreneurship, philanthropy efforts from Marianne Kettleson, the CEO of Mr. B chips. And it's a, look, she makes an incredible chip. Why not make it exclusive to my diet to have uh, Mr. B chips? You know what though? I can picture you sitting down at a restaurant and like the sandwich comes out and then they're like do you like chips or fries and you're like pass i've got my own and then you just bust open potato chips and just use that instead but it is pretty incredible they've got all these different flavors original sour cream and onion barbecue honey barbecue dip style cheddar sour cream jalapeno salt and vinegar they even get the potato stick style like the thin little potato chip styles do you have like a favorite that you go to i would say barbecue honey barbecue but uh what what about you do you have a favorite barbecue is a staple definitely but you can't really miss with the original if you're at a barbecue if you're at a cookout if you're playing golf i will throw those in my bag uh they're guaranteed to be people's uh, favorite little chip little uh snack that they have so i'm more of a classics i like to play the classics barbecue and original 
Yeah, I, I like I I really cannot just get into like the all the other little flavors like I, I don't know like jalapeno man I, I don't know I'm I'm still working my taste buds but Mr B definitely a great product so I you know will I'll be willing to give it a try I guess. MrB.com, Marion Kettleson. She's an incredible lady. They make the Mountaineer Media Podcast possible. Thank you to them. Support them. They're a West Virginia company. And go to MrB.com and show your love to them as well. For as long as they've had the uh, library closed and they were working on that part, it feels like Capitol Street. Half of Capitol Street's been closed. So <laughs> not exactly what you're talking about. But uh, no, and that Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal was very cool over the summer. You know, it's a little more difficult in the winter, obviously, to have outdoor dining. But um, is there this fine line, right? You want to have this balance of having enough attraction for people to jump off the highway and come to Charleston, while also making sure that the people of Charleston are satisfied with what's going on as well. I mean, is that kind of the idea of where the mall even started? You wanted to attract people just from off the highway and out of state coming into town instead, not just getting Charleston's to go to the mall. So like, is there, are we seeing like this, the, the balance is going the other way now? Like people want less of the mall. Obviously we're seeing stores close at the mall and more shops like what we're seeing on Capitol street, rock city, Tony, you know, in, are, are we going one way or the other, or are we still just trying to find a balance of what best works for a city and while trying to maintain tourism from out of state while also satisfying the people within the city itself. Yeah, I think there's, it's trying to find the balance. Um, if you look at, for instance, let's take the Barbersville Mall. Um, I grew up calling it the Huntington Mall. It's actually in Barbersville. And the way that the interstate goes, it doesn't go through, it's on the side of it. Our interstate goes through the city. So that, I think one of the ideas was people would drop by and say, oh, let's stop in the city because I can see the mall, I can see hotels, I'm very close by. You know, we're so centrally located. We're two and a half hours from Columbus. We're four hours, three and a half hours from Cincinnati. You can get to Charlotte in four hours. You can get to, you know, Chicago in eight. So you can drive, you can get to Atlanta in eight. So the idea is we're so centrally located. So let's have, I think it was, let's have the interstate come through so it would encourage people to stop. I think you see that on the east end exit near the Capitol. You see a lot of that there. Um, but now most people want to live where they can walk to work so they don't have to get into a car. Um, many people that come from larger cities that have to stay in a car and commute 40 minutes to an hour each direction, that's not appealing, especially to millennials and younger professionals. They want to be able to walk down the street, go to work, get something to eat, meet their friends, walk back home and not get in a car. So that's the mall is, I think, affected primarily because there's a change in how people want to live. Um, we also have the onset of you can order anything that you want to online and have it delivered to your front door. So that's why you see so many malls recreating themselves where they might have something that's non-traditional, like you know, a rock climbing park where, or they have right. people that have residents that are in the mall, or you might have, um, you know, exercise and physical therapies and, you know, businesses like that, where it draws people that they're used to, or they have to go to those particular types of businesses and things. That, that was kind of my point with like, like if we permanently made a place that like shut down the street, because you almost want to create a place for people just to sit down. Like when I walk on Capitol Street, like it's nice to sit out front of like, if I'm buying something maybe from Taylor Books or a restaurant, I could sit on a chair, but really there's not a place currently that I guess that there's a big area where I could just sit unprovoked without buying something and just hanging out on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. So like almost creating those hangout spots would be, I think, very helpful for like for a downtown atmosphere. Um, when you, when you work with businesses and something I've, I've heard a lot about you, a lot of positive feedback is that you're, you're a person that comes in into the business, ask them like, what are their needs? What are their problems? What are their, you know, opportunities, that sort of thing. How important is it for a city council person, leader, you know, economic beacon, if you will, someone who represents the city, but also lives and breathes in it to be, to under, like, 
build that relationship with businesses from government, that this is a collaborative effort that we want to both kind of see Charleston succeed. I think sometimes people only think of government as like a, something you have to go through or get approved by, but when it works best, it should be hand in hand collaboration. So how, I guess my question is how important or what's your approach when you work with businesses, when you hear from them, like what are the, what are some of their concerns? What are some of their opportunities that you guys are kind of walking through when you kind of game plan from scratch? Well, I think that's a very important question, and I'm, I'm glad you asked me that. One of the things that I like to do is I just listen. You know, I don't talk a lot when people are telling me what they need. Um, and I'll give you a prime example. Um, the distillery that's on the corner of Capitol and um, Canal Boulevard. Tony called me and said, I have a friend, Jeff, that is looking for a space. And I said, well, what type of business does he have? And he said he wants to open a distillery. Well, I walk around Charleston quite often. That's something that I enjoy doing. And I, you know, I stop and talk to people. And again, I just listen to what they're saying. So when Tony mentioned this about Jeff, there was a woman uh, that was closing her business and it was that location. So it wasn't on the market yet. And I found out who the owners were. I called them. And then Jeff moved his business in there. That's a prime location for what he wants to do because of visibility, the windows, all of that. Well, someone else was telling him about a basement. If he was in a basement location, no one would know what he does. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's, I call it putting puzzle pieces together. So like Rock City, they needed some place where they could bake, but they also wanted to have concerts. That was a perfect location for them. So when you're talking about developing and getting people in your city, you have to have attractions that they want to go to. And not only that, if they're coming from out of state, they're used to having certain things. So if we can put those puzzle pieces together, we can start driving more people to come here that are from out of state, out of state that may have more disposable income and they'll spend their money. So, you know, I had nothing to do with the new brewery that's coming in, but that's a perfect location for them. They're right on the corner of Raleigh Walkway on Summer Street. And what you were talking about previously, having a place just to sit outside, Slot mm-hmm. Plaza is going to be that. Mm-hmm. So with the, they're going to have an outdoor concert area, um, sort of like not an amphitheater, but a concert area. And then in the wintertime, it's going to be an ice rink. So it's just, wow. you know, all of that for people to be able to say, let's go downtown and let's have fun. Um, I don't know if you guys went down to Brawley Walkway during the during Christmas with all the Christmas trees that lined Brawley Walkway. That was Morgan's idea from Rock City. She and Kevin Madison from um, Black Sheep, they knocked that out of the park. Yeah, I mean, beautiful. there were like 3,000 people down there and folks taking pictures, um, folks that were staying in my Airbnb, I let them know, you know, go down there, you, it'll be fun. And, you know, to see all of those different pictures on but social media, and not only that, the number of people that it touched, those are the type of things that we need to have in order to drive our economy. And that's how we get more people that are interested in opening businesses and also living here. So I think it goes hand in hand. CJ, if you were going to look for a job in West Virginia, what website would you go to? Um, I ca- I've got to guess. Are you going to tell me what website I should go to? If I was looking for a job, CJ, you know what I would do? I would go to beamountaineer.com. That's beamountaineer.com. And at that website, CJ, you're going to find Mountaineer Employment Solutions. Why don't you tell our listeners about Mountaineer Employment Solutions? I was going to say beamountaineer.com. That was my answer, Cooper, to answer your first question. That was going to be my answer. But yeah, there's no doubt. Mountaineer Employment Solutions, if you are looking for a job in the state of West Virginia, that has got to be your first and only stop. It probably will be your only stop if it's your first stop because these guys are the premier talent acquisition and staffing leader in the state of West Virginia. They serve businesses and job seekers across the state and beyond from their offices in Charleston and Morgantown. So if you're looking for a job, they can hook you up. If you are looking, if you're a business and you need some extra employees, they can help you out with staffing as well. So dude, it's a one-stop shop. If you need help or if you're looking for a job, boom, beamountaineer.com. Go to those guys, Cooper. So you have, you are running for your second term 
on Charleston City Council. Good luck. Congratulations on the first. <laughs> uh, well you. done. And um, you've actually been a big proponent of kind of rewriting some of the rules for Charleston City Council. It's got a very large city council. Uh, the, the Charleston Gazette said it's the uh, like the fourth largest of the top 25 populated cities like Nashville, Chicago, uh, New York City and, and Charleston, West Virginia in yeah. terms of a city council size. And you wanted yeah. to split that in half. Um, kind of walk us through that. Why is that so important? Why was that something that you brought up before? Is that something that you're still pushing for or where, what even happens? How do you just tell like the, the city council, like, yeah, we're just going to cut all these positions in half. We're just going to take only uh, 10 instead of 20. Well, um, this is something that I talked about before I ran for council. So how I got into running, thinking of running for city council. I was at Tony Maranzino's, Andy Richardson, which you know, um, was a, uh, he was a candidate, a mayoral candidate, and he wanted to meet with some downtown business owners prior to, or their representatives prior to running for council. And so Tony called me eight o'clock one night and said, hey, Andy's going to be here eight in the morning. I'd like for you to come. And I'm like, Tony, that's 12 hours from now. And he said, yeah, I just want you to be here. He's got, he wants to talk to us about some ideas. So I showed up and um, to, um, Andy was saying the size of city council. And I said, there's 26 people on council. It's so large. How do you all get anything done? You have to listen to 26 different people, 26 different perspectives. We have a population at that time that was right around hovering around 50,000. And I'm like, you know, I think Atlanta has nine. I think Los Angeles has like 13 or something like that. And I'm like, that is just way too big. I was so puzzled. And I mean, it was just like bewilderment all over my face. And I said, I, I just can't understand that. And so I just talked about some ideas with Andy and he came up to me afterwards and he was like, you should run for city council. And he literally every week, he was like, have you made up your mind? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? So I waited till the last day, like 30 minutes before the deadline. And I put my name in the hat. And everyone that I talked to after that, literally almost every person that I talked to had said, what do you think about the size of council? And I've always <laughs> been a proponent of reducing it. Um, when I did mention this with the redistricting, um, I had been working on it for about eight months before redistricting came out, but I just hadn't introduced the bill. And I have issue with people that don't show up for committee meetings. And I don't think that's any secret. I have brought it up at city council many times. You know, if this is a position that you want to take, of course, we have things that come up. My mother passed away and my brother passed away. My niece passed away all within a 12 month period. So I missed two city council meetings out of the entire time I've been on council. I've missed two meetings and it was related to deaths in my family. If I have a bill that's introduced and then another council member says, well, why don't we send it back to committee because you didn't think about X, Y, and Z. Okay, that's fair enough. But when that council member doesn't show up to the committee meeting and then doesn't show up for council right. the next time when it's reintroduced. It's like, come on, man. You're we're just here. wasting our time. Right. <laughs> I mean, and that happens more so than not. And when you have 26 people it's very difficult. So for a council of our size, the ward reps, and I'm at large, so most people took it that I just wanted, I don't want to say most people, some people took it that I just wanted to reduce the wards. We can reduce the wards with just an ordinance. To reduce the at-large, that's a charter change. So it has to go, you know, it has to be voted on. Um, I think at most, I think for the first phase of this, going from 20 wards to 10 is the cleanest way to do it because you just extend the boundary lines from over two wards. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the at-large should probably be um, four, maybe, because the mayor still would have a vote. So it would have to be an odd number so that, you know, it would be a tiebreaker. Deciding vote, yeah. Um, but I think it could be even smaller. I mean, when you look at some of the other cities, when we're talking about being, excuse me, efficient, lean and mean, things of that nature, we've got 26. So if you divide that out, that's like 1,700, 1,800 per ward. I don't think that's, when you're at large, like we have to run at large, we represent the entire city. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I think it could be better and I think it could streamline a few things, but at the same time, doing my research, there have been the past two or three elections where there have been at least 10, 11 um, wards that have gone unopposed. So if I ran an award and I was unopposed, I would just have to vote for myself in the primary and the general and I'm elected. <laughs> I, I don't think that's, that that's that's a telling part of maybe we do need to reduce the size of council. Yeah. Other people are saying the more representation that we have, um, the better that it can be. I don't know if I believe in that. I just think that sitting in the seat, seeing certain things, understanding that sometimes we it's we run not having a quorum in committee meetings where we can't even vote to get a bill out of committee. Or, you know, onto the council floor because we don't know if we're going to have four members there of seven people that are supposed to show up for committee meetings. So when that has happened more times than not, that's showing me that maybe there's not an interest to come to the committee meetings because you don't have to come to the committee meetings to get paid. You come to council to get paid. Right. That's gotcha. That's a problem. It's problematic to me. Now, had you had any experience with like, I won't call you a politician, but like any of this type of stuff before this, or when you were convinced to run for this, like this was your first like elected quote unquote position of anything like, like this sort of thing. My first elected, I never thought I would run. I told Andy, he was crazy. Um, (laughs) You know, I just, I went through the whole self doubt, but as I started on this journey, I learned that, more women statistically than men doubt themselves. And it takes them about 10 to 14 times to think about it before they say that they'll run. I'm a mother, you know, I have a job and a career, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these other different things. And compared to men, they think maybe, I think it was like three or four times. So I fit that statistic completely. I mean, I think Andy and I had either lunch, dinner, drinks, something. It was probably three months every week. That's something. And he stuck to it. And and I thank him tremendously for that because he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Cooper, are you looking to buy or sell a home in Kanawha, Putnam, or Cabell counties right now? I'm not, but I might know somebody who is. CJ, what should they do? Yeah, so look, this is as easy as it gets. You're going to skip on over to buildingappalachia.com because they are going to be able to help you out if you're looking to buy or sell in Kanawha, Putnam, or Cabell counties. Those guys at Building Appalachia are great. So you just head over to their website, and then there's literally a link. I'm looking at it right now. It says, we buy houses in West Virginia, we sell houses in West Virginia, and you can click the tab, sell a home, buy a home. Easy as that easy as that and then you're going to get a call from those guys they're going to want to come check the place out they're going to give you a cash offer so man if you need cash trying to sell a property dude they they'll have it to you and 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 these guys at building appalachia just uh they've got it figured out jordan and jacob we had them on the podcast you heard their story you know their mission of trying to make west virginia a better place to live and work no hidden fees no commissions call building appalachia 304-881-8487 or go to buildingappalachia.com the link is in our bio and all of our social media get connected with them to buy sell or invest in real estate in southern west virginia i could imagine like from you coming from a place where you know, an entrepreneur kind of business, like you're used to getting things done. I can imagine coming in, wanting to breathe the fresh air, then kind of realizing, wait, like, why is this so inefficient? Why is there this many things? Like, why are these like gaps are not happening? You can almost see why stuff kind of takes a while or it's like not voted on or like you get the lag behind. And that's why people criticize government. I think sometimes it's because it's like, it's like 10 steps behind what kind of the public and their citizens are demanding. It's because of all those kind of built in, I don't know, bureaucracy kind of red tape situations. Um, so I'm sure that's been kind of a little bit frustrating, but also maybe a little bit invigorating for you to kind of, hey, let's let's pick up the pace. Let's maybe change some stuff around and get some stuff done. Yeah. And I, and I think for for me, that's that's what I like. That's that's the challenge of it. It's like if we see something and citizens want it, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many people have stopped me and said, I know that you're probably not very well liked amongst your peers, but keep pushing. 
And and that's encouraging. That's very that's like a hell of a, like something to stomach. Like, so, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and I'm, what, I'm, I don't think I am popular. I'm talking about people not having seats anymore. <laughs> right. I mean, I understand that. But at the same point in time, it's not that, and I'm trying to do mine is what, like, not my eliminate my seat, but like reduce the at large seats as well. It's not just the wards. Mm-hmm. We have to start somewhere. And I mean, if you go back through the history of it, I thought Lori's. Lori Kersey's article was was really a well-written article. You know, when you look back from 1919 and, and like the, the way that she placed the history in that article, we've had these wards the way that they've been for so long. It went from 21 to 20, I think with the last redistricting prior to this one, why do we still have the same amount? And I know like there was a consultant that came in and said that, you know, more representation and let's stick to the 20 wards. I just... I really don't understand it. And I think there are a number of people within the city that would like to see that changed as well. Well, if you stick around long enough, I'm sure there will be some change. Tony Paranzino did say that you should run for mayor one of these days. So you might have more influence coming your way here soon, <laughs> soon enough. Oh what, my are gosh. Your, what are Tony. your ambitions? With that? <laughs> would you ever run for mayor? Would you ever run for mayor? I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a huge responsibility. I think some people see it as, you know, um, oh, gosh, what you see, the peripheral things, you know, where you, right. you know, surface and but it's a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. when you so many things that I've seen this current mayor do and as busy as she's been and some of the, you know, the heat that she gets that that comes with office. I get that. But when you're trying the best that you possibly can and you're trying to balance what everyone is saying, it's a tough position. It's very tough. It's a thankful I mean, job, I'm sure. You know, you're over the police department, you're over the fire department. When when there's a, a murder that happens in your city, it comes back to you. Um, one of my really good friends is Tara Taylor and her son, KJ, was killed. Yeah. Um, he was going to the grocery store, the corner store, to get something to drink. And he was shot. And the kid that was shooting wasn't trying to shoot him. And for me to even say that sentence doesn't make sense to me. A kid shooting somebody else. Um, I remember calling the mayor. And because my son called me and said, Mom, I think KJ's been killed. And I called the mayor. And I said, I know this kid. Um, I'm tearing up thinking about it because she went to her house and sat on her floor and talk to her and cried with her. Hmm. Those are things that you don't see when someone's the mayor of a city. And that's that's tough. It was tough for me um, sure. because it was tough for my son. It was tough for his friends. It was tough for someone that we love. So those are the things when you are the mayor that people don't get to see. They might complain about parking meters. Well, you know, parking meters, $1.50, $2. But when you're talking about someone's child that they'll never see again, that's tough. And how do you implement change so that never happens again? That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the things that I think about with being mayor, because I know that I would sit on the floor with someone and cry with them and probably not forget that. Yeah. I mean, Amy said, let's not be to run the bush. It's been difficult, uh, almost like the out of office difficulties, you know, a couple of kids, uh, obviously uh, an officer death, a fireman death. There, there have been things that have happened that Amy's definitely had to react to. So it is not an easy job because when stuff like that does happen, people turn to the mayor for, for guidance. And, you know, that is not an easy task. That's not an easy position to be in when people are needing, you know, a little pat on the back or reassurance that things are going to be okay. That's absolutely true. And, and one of the things that, uh, one of the other things that I probably didn't make too many friends with on council was the, um, uh, the, the needle exchange. Um, mm-hmm. My brother passed away of an overdose um, on New Year's Eve of last year. And oh, wow. his daughter, my niece, found him. And uh, he was actually in her home. And he had, he had overdosed in her home. And uh, it's, it's a tough situation with people when you deal with someone that is an active addiction and having to weigh the options and all of the different things that come with it, it's tough. And then with, with my field, what I, what I was doing with um, real estate and property management, I've walked in buildings and I've seen 
I've seen a plethora <laughs> of mm-hmm. things and I've seen, you know, uh, things I wouldn't want to see and things that I know that people have to clean up. Um, I'm all for people getting help, but I'm all for accountability as well. Mm-hmm. And being the sister of someone where I've literally had to say, if you continue to act the way that you are, I'll get a mental hygiene warrant. I will go before the judge and try to get a mental hygiene warrant. And I did. Um, he ended up being you know, arrested and stayed in jail for 10, 12 days and having to call my mother and say, don't get him out. You know, I know that's your son, right. but don't get him out. Um, and then have to stay at, you know, at council and say, I've been the one that's picked up needles and put them in the Sharpie container because when he's, when he was high, he's not going to take his time and say, Oh, let me put this in a Sharpie container. That's not what he's going to do. It's the loved ones that actually do that. And it's the loved ones that carry a lot of the shame. So I didn't think that we should have a a distribution where there's not any accountability. We've tried that before. It didn't work. And someone that's had experience with that, I literally stopped the council. We were on council floor and we were talking about it. We ended up being there for five hours. And a lot of that had to do with, I I stopped certain things and I said, let's consider this. And folks that were there that, you know, where this distribution was taking place, there were residents and, you know, they were telling me, we now have a drug house that's across the street that we've never had before. You know, when folks come and they do certain things that attract certain people that are not from our neighborhood. And I wouldn't want that in my neighborhood. I know my neighbors would not want that. I know what my brother was doing in the house that we owned. I know that the neighbors didn't like that. And so it had to come to a point in time where it was tough love. And my brother, once he spent that amount of time in jail, after he got out, the last year of his life was the best year of his life. He was clean for almost a year. Then things got stressful with COVID and he got some drugs that were, you know, cut with fentanyl Mm -hmm. and he overdosed. And, you know, I wish the one thing that I wish I would have done was to continue to encourage him to get help because he did things for a year on his own, but he had been in active addiction for so long that when things got tough, he resorted back to what he knew that helped to alleviate the pain. And he got some really bad drugs. And so, you know, he's gone. I miss him dearly. But that's something that for me, if we can't include the families and understand from a family perspective, when someone's in active addiction and we provide them with help as well, I will always be a stickler for not just distributing because I know what it's done to my family and I know what it's done to the hundreds of families that have reached out to me once I made that stance. All right, TJ, you just fired up the grill. You've got some chicken on there. You've got some burgers on there. What are you adding to add some extra flair? Oh, dude, I'm going with Ray's Rub 11 out of 10 times. Ray's Rub is a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. You can throw it on chicken, steak, burgers, veggies, whatever you want. And they've got 21 mouth-watering herbs and spices. So KFC, get that, that secret blend of 11 herbs and spices out of here, dude. 21 herbs and spices packed in this great bottle of Ray's Rub. Cooper, where can people go get Ray's Rub? Two places, CJ. They can go to RaysRub.com, get themselves free shipping. They can also go to Amazon and order it and be at your house in two days. It's a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. It's delicious. We had Brody on the podcast. He's carrying on his father's legacy by promoting Ray's Rub. It's great. Give it a try right now. Thanks for sharing your story too. I know that that's not a difficult one to pass on, but uh, we do appreciate that. And really that's a, a topic that we've not dived too deep into SOAR and, you know, the needle exchange program and stuff like that. It's a very hot topic. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about it um, yeah. especially in this town. It's a hot topic and, and it's nothing against the people that operate SOAR. I mean, I know many of those folks, and I've had conversation with them and I have said, you're, you set up in a neighborhood and you didn't tell your neighbor, you didn't tell the neighbors you're in someone's backyard and you didn't knock on their door and say, Hey, what do you think about this? It's reactive. It's not proactive. And I just thought that was a mistake. And I shared that with them and whether, whether they want to say, yeah, Jennifer did share that with me. 
I shared with them, it was very shortly after my brother passed away. And, you know, there were certain things and it may not have been their organization. Um, there were certain things that were said to me, like, I know this is fresh and you're going to have to separate your feelings because you're on council and you have to make a vote. I can't separate my experience. That's like you asking me about economic development and me saying, well, right. I can't tell you what I've done, but I think this might work. Right. Um, it's hard to tell people to separate that because their experience is what you gather in order to get the data in order for you to make a decision. Yeah, and when right. you're leaving families and how they react to the situation that are helping someone that's in active addiction, when you eliminate their voice, I don't see how you're helping the cause. Right. Those are the people we actually want to have a voice in it because those are the people that have experienced it firsthand. So we want their opinion on it. So yeah, I mean, that's, I'm sure that's, it's been challenging again. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I know that's not easy, um, man. I mean, when you, when you balance these issues, I mean, how, do you feel like you as a city council woman, um, person, leader, individual, do you feel like you have to have the answers for everything? Like, how do you judge, like, how do you balance like when people come up to you with like the, the latest, like opportunity problem, you know, desire, like, how do you find a way to like help prioritize this stuff for yourself professionally? Like what, like, how do you rank the most important issues for a community? Like, and, and then like legally and statutorily, like what you physically can and can't do with like your, your role, some of the stuff might be not even related to your, you know, role or department. Like, how do you, how do you, how have you developed a system to kind of screen that, if that makes sense? Well, you really have to be resourceful. Honestly, you do. Um, and you, you will get a number of different telephone calls. It could be one call could be trash. You know, I didn't get my trash picked up. Um, how, who do I get in touch with? Because it's been sitting there for two weeks and I don't know why I've been missed or to the point of <laughs> Tony teases me, Tony and Kevin tease me about this. Um, I had calls about someone having pigs in their yard. And so I had to make some phone calls in order to try to remedy that. And so they'll tell me I'm chasing pigs. So, but anyway, um, that, you know, you get the calls like that and you have to know who you contact, but then you also get calls about, you know, someone's stealing something out of a vacant home. So one of the first challenges that I had was getting to know who was in key areas and in, in certain departments, because you will have people call you, you'll have people text you, you know, our numbers are readily available on the city website. Right. Um, you could be at an event and someone comes up to you and says, you know, I have this issue. And it could be to the point of like a mental health question. I've been very vocal about my brother. Um, I asked my niece, his daughter, I said, do you have a problem with me talking about him? Because I don't want to make this difficult for you. And she said that she didn't. And I've never asked her why, but I believe that I know that I feel that I don't want anyone else to have to experience if I can help it to experience what we have. So I've had someone reach out to me and say, I have a friend that she's really struggling. Can you get her into, can you give me a number where I can call someone? And I have, you know, different things like that, but you really have to, you've got to have a Rolodex. Mm -hmm. You've got to have numbers readily available and you've got to answer your phone or you've got to return the text or the emails. Um, and it's not a job that it's not a nine to five situation. I mean, you can get a call at two o'clock in the morning and if it's a pressing issue, you've got to connect folks. So it's really, you know, it goes back to the listening and communication. You have to be readily available and readily um, willing to be able to, to put those pieces together. Well, you certainly are. And uh, I think it's a good, good place to wrap it. We, we appreciate you coming on. Um, I think I'm glad that Andy convinced you to run because I, I do think you're, you can just tell, I mean, you care about West Virginia, you care about Charleston. Um, it's people at the end of the day, we're a collection of people that are deciding to live near each other. And we all want to live and work in a nice, desirable place. Um, and through that communication that you've kind of stressed on and open collaboration, I think is how we're going to get there to continue to make West Virginia a desirable place for us. And as CJ kind of alluded to, for people coming in and finding that balance of being, you know, staying in West Virginia, but also attracting new people to come to our state, which we desperately need. Um, and we welcome them with open arms to come here. So Jen, Jen with one in, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Farr, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. When you get a chance, go look at Slack Plaza. It's really cool. Most certainly. Well, and where can people, speaking of work, they get a hold of you on like Facebook, your website looks like 
Um, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you if they're listening and they say, Hey, I got an idea for something. Yeah, sure. Facebook is, is a great place to, to reach me. I'll give you my phone number. I think I plastered it just about everywhere it could be. Um, it's a 304-615-7574. I am working on my campaign website and all of that again to get that back up and running. Um, my number is listed with the Atlas building. So I've, I've, people call and text me all the time. Texting is the easiest way to reach me. So again, the number is 304-615-7574. Thanks again. I really had fun. This was great. I'm not sure that you can really make this the staple of your campaign, but maybe bring back the Canal Cinema. I wouldn't be opposed to bringing back the cinema either. (laughs) Okay. So one of my best friends, she and I work there together. She's a doctor now. (laughs) And we still talk about how that was our favorite job. And I think there you, you probably have people my age that would line up to say, oh, I'll make popcorn. I'll be in the right. office. <laughs> yeah, we'll be, we'll be there. <laughs> That's funny. That is pretty funny. Well, good deal. Yeah. So we're in for, thank you again. Thank you. Appreciate Take you guys. Care. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Jen with one N. Thank you for joining us and telling us your story and talking a little past, present, future of Charleston and West Virginia. We really enjoyed that conversation. If we can help you in any way, shape, or form, please let us know we are here on your side. You are doing some great things for the city of Charleston and the state of West Virginia. Everybody else, thank you for tuning in, as always, to this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Hey, if you haven't been over on mountaineermedia.org, recently where you were missing out on not just some great blogs and you know the latest news and tidbits of information that you need to know but you're also missing out on some sweet sweet swag we just dropped our escape to west virginia series we've got short sleeve shirts long sleeve shirts sweatshirts with this sick logo that one of our bloggers joe justice helped design so joe fantastic work this escape to west virginia design is incredible it's got all these little pieces that remind you of west virginia the cardinal the rhododendron the country roads uh man it's very cool so go check that out over on mountaineermedia.org and thank you for tuning in as always hit us up with some guest recommendations on any social media platform And we'll make sure to get back to you and try and get those guys in before the end of 2022. We're running out of time, guys. It's February. You better get on it. If you got some recommendations, get them to us now. No, plenty of time. Please message us, though, if you do have some ideas of who we should try and get on the pod. We'd love to hear from you guys. So thank you again for listening, and we'll be back again soon. Peace.